I like just think that we wouldn't be good teachers. Sorry. Speak for yourself. Okay, maybe I should. <laughs> I came across very harsh. <laughs> oh, God. You know, actually, uh, when I was in grade seven, I did, like, a shadow teacher moment. Nice. No. Oh. No, it was actually, it was for a grade one class. It was the worst day of my life, I'll be Ooh. honest with you. Um, I had to help them write their names. Okay. So I'm, like, helping them write their little letters and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, dude, you have to fit these letters in these lines that they oh, have I remember in those. these worksheets. I remember that, yeah. Oh, I could not do it. There's probably some, like, 15-year-old's that have shit writing and it's my fault. I can't even work. My brain can't even function talking to one person, let alone a class of 30 students. Yeah, it was... I'm, I'm sure their writing's not bad, don't worry about it. You could be my art teacher. When I was in grade seven, actually, we didn't have a helper, but he used to jump from table to table. He was called Mr. Kershaw. <laughs> um, if you went to Allenbourne Middle School in Wimborne, Dorset, the UK, <laughs> you'll know exactly who I'm referring to. And you were born in 1995. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he would, like, jump from table to table, like, whipping paint off his paintbrush and, oh, like, doing crazy things. Yeah, he was fantastic. He was so funny, and he was, like, mid-50s with, like, a beard and, like, scruffy hair and just wore, like, a canvas apron with, like, he was just covered in paint all the time. I mean, other clothes, too, not just the canvas apron. And <laughs> Okay, good, because, I mean, he is teaching 12-year-olds, so. Yeah, and then he got fired because he was drinking in his closet. He was oh. drunk all the time, apparently. Well, that's why I was jumping off the tables. Yeah, exactly. Although I do, I do like that teaching style. Mm-hmm, me too. I love that this all stemmed from um, a TikTok video. Yeah. Yeah. If we decide to keep this in and not edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> for just, context. Just, just for context, guys. But uh, yeah, welcome to episode two on that note. <laughs> Thanks for listening to us. Blabba yabba yabba. We're doing musicals this week as we selected it from our very sophisticated generator app. Mm-hmm. From got, I think I've got a good one. Yeah, and if you if this is all new to you and you're like musicals, I don't remember this. Then you obviously didn't listen to the full of which one. First of all, rude. Yeah, really rude. Second of all, we have a generator app that chooses our genre so that our episodes now are centered around a genre. Yeah, so we're more in tune with each other. So yes. you guys, not can... that we weren't in tune before. No, no, no. or as Ruby would say, in tune. Do I? Okay, in tune. <laughs> Um, no, I think, say, okay, how do you say Toronto? Well, I'm not, I'm going to say it wrong. <laughs> Back home, my dad says Toronto. <laughs> Toronto? Uh, I, I would say Toronto, but I know that you don't pronounce the second T. Yeah, but I do sometimes. I, I don't know, I switch it up. It's like saying Melbourne as well in an Aussie accent, like, me, Austra- I'm from Australia. Mel- <laughs> Melbourne, what, Melbs. <laughs> You're right. I'm straight. I know. I'm like stroking my neck muscles. I'm like, oh, change dialogue and change accent. Come, Welcome me. Come, come, come. Little esophagus working hard. Ah. <laughs> Speaking of musicals, would you like to hear our octave range? Oh god, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't either. To be honest. Wow, what a long intro. We're five minutes already. Jesus. Let's, let's let's give. The people what they need. Yes. Oh, actually, first, before we do that. Haha, nearly fooled you there. Yeah, extra, extra. Um, we have this fluffy bag. Oh, it's yes. Fun. Excuse everyone, you're probably going to hear some madness. You're going to feel like you're in a newspaper factory. Yeah. In 1945. Yes. Extra, extra. Did you get the Prince Dolly? I need a snack. <laughs> Sorry. Who was that? I don't know. Who just came out of you? The same guy that said extra, extra, I think. <laughs> Yeah. Charles, get back down. Hey, we need that print. Hey, I'm smoking like a cigar and stood over at all the workers, like line working down at the bottom. And I'm like, come yeah, on, doll. Suspenders. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> sorry, I just did a weird movement with my mouth. I was trying to like fake hold a uh, cigar. Like it's really fat, you know? And he's just from New York and he's just like, hey. anyway, this, this dream's done. So we have this beautiful gift in front of us that, you know, last week, well, a couple of weeks ago, you got a wheel of cheese. This week is a new gift. Oh, this God. Is... I'm... Season two has been so good for me. I know. For, I... For me too, honestly. So me and Buffy have been gifted this lovely gift via James. By our, our number one sponsor. Yep. And fan. Only and fan. And fan. And <laughs> moving on. And yeah. And this morning, James was like, don't open this. You're not allowed to open this until you're in the presence of Buffy. He actually sent me a video. Mm-hmm. 
of him telling you that to make sure that you couldn't get away with lying to me. Yeah. So that there was video evidence I'm, that we opened it together. I'm really bad at, like, opening gifts and then being, like, I'm really good at figuring out my gifts. Oh. So I think he was double making sure. I'm really good at figuring out the plot to movies, but only because I Wikipedia them before they finish. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> okay. So this is what you're hearing. It's a little gift that we're going to open. So thank you so much, James. Oh. Oh, yes. He told me that the card was weird. Oh. So it's a ripped up check. Nice. Happy season to launch. Very nice. So I guess he maybe doesn't realize that we've already like recorded episode one. It's oh. released. This is episode two. But I like the enthusiasm. I like the thought, and this is the perfect size to frame um, in our eventual studio. Yes, and I like that it's an, a check, like a checkbook yes. card. Um, also, if I ever doubted that you and James were a real serious couple, this um, check is named Ruby and James. I know, we're, we're actually very adult. So, yeah. that in itself is impressive. We had to get it for our permanent residency, um, oh. and when they came in, we don't ever use these, but it's a requirement. I don't know why. Um, but, yeah, and we were like, who are, who are we? Mom and Dad. Yeah. I think yes. <laughs> so, we'll keep this. Okay, and now for the gift. Do you want to reach in? You go, friend. <gasps> oh, my goodness! Oh, these are so, are these tattoos? <laughs> I hope they're tattoos. Oh, my God. God. These are oh so good. This is awesome. What? Is it a tattoo or a stick? Okay, so basically, guys. Our lo- James has got our logo printed on a sticker? Dude! That's so amazing! Oh my gosh, oh my so God. if you guys want a sticker... We have stickers on our websites. Um, <laughs> but we do have an email. <laughs> Stay tuned to the end to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> this is really sweet. I didn't know he was doing this. This is so cool! Oh and my I'm God, dude, pretty- I'm going to go all around Vancouver, and I'm just going to freaking... I'm going to go ham, as they say. <laughs> I'm just going to, like, hand these out when I'm with Dave Hey, calls. like, podcast? Help yourself. You're very welcome. <laughs> hey, I want to go back out and listen to it. Another place. Stick it to your car. This is really cool. That's a really nice gift. Bravo, James. Thank you so much. That's so cool. And it's our logo. Our actual logo. Oh, designed by Sarah Joni, who That's we love. so fun. We need to drop these off to Sarah Joni. Amazing gift. That was extremely exciting. And we have, like... A thousand, so. Wow, what a way to start. So that, I mean, at the rate that we gain listeners, that will last us at least 40 years. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that hurts, it's true. (laughs) But if you won a sticker, happily mail one to you. I'll just take some home for James. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's crack on to our musical portion. Yes. The actual, what this podcast is about. So, okay, I was thinking, because it's a musical, how mm. about you sing a song from your musical, and let me try and guess what musical you're doing before you tell me what it is. Okay, easy, I've got Put this. Put you right on the spot. Oh, you're into it. Great. Yeah. I'm, it won't be good. That's fine. I don't have a four octave range. Oh. <laughs> okay, do you? <laughs> what a sin. <laughs> Get off. Okay, so, yeah, but you have to do the same. Oh, okay, fine. Do you, okay, I can go first. I yeah, don't mind. That's fine. So mine's mine's pretty easy. Are you ready? Yeah. I'm ready. Another one bites the dust. Another one. Another one. Another one bites the dust. <laughs> and also, I can give you a second version in case you didn't get it. I think you did, but here you are. <laughs> I'm just a poor boy. Nobody loves me. Oh. See, you're into it. Um, Are you doing Bohemian Rhapsody? I am. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Um, should I do mine now or should I do it later? You should do yours now. Hold, Hold me closer, closer Tony Danza. Are you saying Tony or Tiny? <laughs> Tony? There was a thing that was like Tony Danza. Oh. Where was that from? The office? I can't remember. <laughs> Probably. But do you know what I'm doing? Yeah, I do. It's definitely going to be about uh, Bon Jovi. No, i <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> Are you doing Rocket Man? I am. Sweet. Don't Two very good head. musicals. I got in a train. We like that annoying musical theater kids in school. Yeah. <laughs> Glee. Oh my god, we're basically Glee. Who are you? Um, Mr. Shoe. <laughs> I'm actually... You're Dr. Shrewd, not... <laughs> Did you just make Dwight Shrewd a doctor? Dr. Shrewd, who knows? <laughs> Same person at this point. <laughs> yeah, and she's blonde and lives in Vancouver, BC. 
<laughs> and if you DM her, you can get a sticker. <laughs> wow. Wait, oh. Dr. Shrewd? That's you? <laughs> That's you. Oh, great. Thanks. I love my new name. <laughs> I'm just, at least you're a doctor, okay? I'm probably baby. <laughs> uh, good talk. All right. Should we get into this? Yeah, go on. Um, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? What are you in the mood for? You know what, mate? You go first. Are you sure? Yeah. You're so generous. <laughs> I know. You know how much I love the sound of my own voice. I know, I know. Don't worry. It's all right. I'm happy um, you admitted that. So 20 minutes ago, when I said I was doing Rocket Man, here we are. <laughs> so Rocket Man came out in 2019, directed by Dexter Fletcher. And it's a movie about Elton John, basically. Elton John's the exact producer on it, which is pretty cool. So you yeah, see like, he is, baby. a very strong Elton John influence on this film, for sure. <laughs> I don't know why. I couldn't tell you why. Uh, it's weird. Interesting but... that he chose to produce it. <laughs> yeah. Dif- different project for him, really. Totally out of his wheelhouse. Um, his was... wheelhouse? Uh, yeah, that's what people say, I think. Oh, this is like the tune and tune thing? No. Wait, is it not wheelhouse? I don't know. I've never heard it. Oh. But I haven't heard a lot of things. Okay. Um, so young Reginald Dwight, played by Terry... Dwight? Yes! What is happening? <laughs> He's infiltrated <laughs> Um, Played by Taron Eggleton. Yeah, oh. Taron. Let's just call him Taron. <laughs> He's British, like me. He is British. <laughs> um, changes his name to Elton John. Not uh-huh. Taron. Not Taron. He's not a method actor. N- no. <laughs> start this whole thing over so, young so Reginald Dwight played by Taryn Egerton I really hope I'm saying that name right changes his name to Elton John to, <laughs> and collaborates with singer-songwriter Bernie Toppin played by Jamie Bell to become the most iconic figure in pop history set to his most beloved songs it's the epic musical story of Elton John his breakthrough years in the 1970s and his fantastical transformation from shy piano prodigy to international superstar. Thank you. Um, so let's just hop in. There, now you know what it's about if you haven't seen it. It's a great movie, although it came out really close to Bohemian Rhapsody, so it's interesting that we're both doing these, and a lot of people thought that it wasn't as good. I think because it's very, like, theatrical in a sense. It's different. Yeah, it's a different style. But saying that, similar, because it's the same director. Interesting. Dexter Fletcher. And I'll get into a bit more about his directing on... Bohemian Rhapsody, but yeah, he he did both. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. Huh. But they were different films. I think that, in my humble opinion, um, Rocket Man was an as it was emotional. It was different, but I no no maybe they're all the same. I liked Rocket Man better. Really, I did. I think I just I really liked the costumes and I really liked the big dance numbers. Mm-hmm. And it I was a bit more of that. It wasn't like yeah. the band's life. It was more like yeah, like I. Oh, but then no, that's a it's a hard one for me. I don't know. I feel like Bohemian Rhapsody was more of like a biopic mm-hmm. on Freddie Mercury, mm-hmm. whereas not that Rocket Man's not a biopic in a sense, but it's more. It almost feels like you're watching a Broadway show. But in the it movie. does. It could. It probably is now a Broadway show. I'm guessing. Well, not in 2020 yet. But no. Well, I hope it becomes a Broadway show if it hasn't already in the future. Yes. Yeah, and also Elton's still alive, so they have that reference of going exactly. Back to him. He could, and he was like very. He was very involved in a lot of the creative stuff and a lot of like how he was portrayed and stuff. I actually think he played a huge part in casting. He did. Taron. Mm-hmm. Um, what makes me laugh because Taron was obviously in Kingsman. Mm-hmm. And that, like, I think there were three films in that. And there was that one, is it the second one or third one, where they kidnap Elton John and Taryn has to go, like, save him. <laughs> and, like, Elton John's in that, like, little jail cell and he's like, let me out, you bitch. <laughs> you bitch. And he's like, fuck off. <laughs> like, he's just, like, crazy Elton John. <laughs> so, funny. so I'm wondering if you met Taryn and was oh, like... Oh, and then he was like, hmm, you could work. Yeah. So this movie has some really cool makeups. And I think... <laughs> and that's the end. And that's all the research I could find. I think it's re- it's a really cool movie for makeup because you're making somebody look like a very recognizable person who's also, like we said, still alive. You kind of have to... It's it's a bit of a challenge because you want Taryn to look like him. You know, you want it to be realistic. Elton John actually gave Egerton and Fletcher, who's the director, instructions not to make him into a caricature or to copy him. 
that gave the whole kind of the production kind of a challenge of like how do we stay true to Elton John's style and appearance um, while also leaving room for Egerton to act and to kind of take the role and make it into his own. Mm-hmm. And the same goes for makeup. So this film is another example of makeup and hair sharing a department. At the head, we have Oscar-nominated Lizzie Yanni Giorgio, whose work you might recognize from Guardians of the Galaxy, Thor, The Dark World, and Dark Shadows. Oh. So a very talented lady. So her goal for this film, in her words, was to capture the essence, the essence of Elton. In my very humble opinion, I think that she's achieved that. I think. Oh, easily. Yeah, I think she did a really great job. Her wig work is stunning. It was really cool. She actually does, he actually wears a lot more makeup than I thought he did throughout this movie, which Mm. is really cool. It just, that just shows like, you know, she's done a great job at making it not look like makeup at all. Yeah. At the beginning when she was designing and like trying to figure out how she was going to turn Taryn into Elton, she was given tons of Elton John's photos throughout the years by Dexter Fletcher, and those actually all came straight from Elton's own collection. So his personal photos. Yeah. When she came up with the designs for this look, she knew one challenge would be working around the large eyewear that Egerton was going to be wearing throughout the film. Because mm-hmm. he has all those crazy funky glasses. He's got some snazzy glasses. He does. And so she was like, this is going to be tough because that's taken up a lot of real estate on his face for me to work with. Yeah. Especially the eyes because the eyes are a huge thing. Especially in AJ. And the eyebrows. Mm. Eyebrows do a lot for the face. The solution she found was actually enlarging Taryn's brows to make them more like Elton's. This would also make the eyes appear closer together, fitting Elton's, and also keeping them in the picture while wearing the crazy glasses. So the bigger the eyebrows are, then the frames will cover Uh, the whole brow, you know? How did she do that? How did she make the eyebrows booming? Let me tell you. Go on. (laughs) I will. Tell me a story. (laughs) Title, eyebrows. (laughs) So um, as far as I can tell, they were actually just little lace pieces. Nice. That she put over. Mm-hmm. So for the sections where Elton's younger, she did things like covering some acne, keeping his face very clean shaven, and changing to finer eyebrows and a shorter wig, as well as some sideburns. She felt like the finer eyebrows were a bit more, like, boyish, maybe. And younger. Exactly. Because it's very common, you know, just old people, as you older get old. people to have a bigger, bushier brow. Exactly. So she toned it down a little bit for when he's, like, kind of finding himself, he's growing up, and then as he gets older, they get bigger. Smart choice. Exactly. As the character ages and grows more of a stage presence, Yanni Giorgio blow-dried the hair to hide the baldness that would be setting in. She's so cool. Thinking ahead. She's also trading in the thin brows, like we said, for longer sideburns and longer brows. Um, and then she also started painting on some very subtle eye bags. Nice. Oh, painting? Mm-hmm. Wow. Painting, yes. And just really subtle ones, just to make him... Just, like, know. accentuating wrinkle lines? Yeah, and just... Because he obviously, like, as he gets more famous, he starts to develop certain addictions, mm-hmm. and, you know, so he goes through certain, th- certain things. So I think she started doing that also to kind of, like, subtly let the viewer know, like, he's getting less maybe healthy on the inside. Yeah, and definitely. that's kind of how she chose to show that. And then, yeah, blow-drying the hair so that he didn't look like he was bald, but it, you could tell that in the shots where you can see the back of his head that he's thinning. Wait, so it wasn't a wig? No, it was. Oh, it, it so was she just manipulated it and, like, showed scalp. Yeah, okay, so... My mind is blown. It's very crazy. Yeah, my mind was also blowing. Um, I'm going to talk about it a little bit more later. <laughs> blowing. I have... <laughs> As I was reading all my yeah, research. Your brain just... <laughs> blowing. I can't whistle, so... <laughs> One fun thing I learned was that in a lot of the costumes for this film, we see Egerton's chest and his arm hair. Elton John had asked that they add chest hair, had asked if they would be adding chest hair, but after testing that, the team found that it was a bit too, too much. It was, like, a bit overkill. But they still wanted to have, like, the heavy chest hair that Elton John has. Yeah. So instead of adding extra hair to Egerton, they actually dyed his own chest hair dark. Oh, just to make it look more dense. Yeah, and same with his arm hair, so that it'd have like more of a pronounced appearance in his costumes. Now, if you've watched the film and you've seen photos of Elton John, I'm sure that you've noticed the very small gap in between his two front teeth. I wanted to know if he was wearing a dental prosthetic. Turns out he wasn't. Really? They tried some dental prosthetics, but it was too hard for Taryn to sing normally, and it, it was affecting his voice. She actually just painted it on. Every day. Every day. What, like, just accentuated the gap in between his normal teeth? Yeah, basically she just took, like, some dark paint and just painted that little line in between your two front teeth a bit thicker so that it would look like a gap, 
but it was just paint. They couldn't use a dental piece. Wow. Which, can you imagine the touch-up hell you'd be entering? One thing that I learned recently with teeth was putting spirit gum on them beforehand. Yes, I've heard of that too. Yeah, I've I've never personally done it, but I've seen people doing it. It's like drying the teeth and like getting all off as you would to paint them. Right. And then like putting a layer of spirit gum where you need, drying it, and then putting over your color because it's supposed to help seal it more and keep it on for longevity. Interesting. I guess, I don't know if we've ever talked about how we paint teeth. Because I don't think so. Because as a makeup department, that is part of your job. It really um, ties in the look. It does. You know, if you're doing, like, a zombie movie and your zombie smiles and they have, like, perfectly white straight teeth, it kind of takes you out of the zombie feel. So we have teeth palettes, which are basically just, like, pigment that's... Alcohol-based. Yeah, and it's tooth-friendly. Um, tooth. <laughs> tooth-friendly. Tooth-love it. <laughs> to bathe in it. Um, not so fun for the actor because we do use 99, like Ruby said, to activate the paints. Mm-hmm. So it can be an annoying process. And because the teeth are in the mouth, hopefully, and they're getting, <laughs> they're getting, they're getting wet all the time from saliva, it just it breaks it wears. down. Yeah, yeah it breaks fast. it down. Another good alternative, if you don't want to use 99% alcohol, what activates these um, alcohol-based palettes is using Illustrator's brand Activator. Mm, the smell's mm. nicer. It's really good to use on the, not just the teeth, but also around the nose and the face if you're there for yeah, long areas. periods of time. It just is going to smell less harsh than the initial 99%. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's pretty awesome, though, that she was painting in that line every scene, probably. That's I know. It's really cool. I know. And I'm, I was just, like, reading that. I was like, God, that must have been a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> to have to watch. Yeah. And also, like, he's singing all the time, so and, his mouth is always visible. And Taryn, I believe, did, like, performing arts in school, so he is a capable dancer and, like, singer, I'm guessing. Yeah. So as Elton begins to really struggle through his addictions, through depression, a lot of mental troubles. Yeah. Um, it really all comes to a head in a scene where he falls into the pool in an attempt to take his own life. Because this scene requires that Egerton be submerged in water, the m- and makeup and water not super friendly to each other, Yanni Giorgio decided the best thing to do would be to actually shave Taryn's own hairline back, then use a hair removal cream to retrieve that male pattern baldness in the back that they had established, and then to dye Taryn's hair for the scene. So he wears brows, sideburns, and eye bags, which are not his, mm-hmm. but on his head. It's all his. Yeah, so they From actually... That scene? Oh yeah. my god, so that was like, there's a scene coming up. Imagine the breakdown on that alone scene. And then, was that where, I wonder how they shot that, continuing on from the scene. That's amazing, I that, love that. That would have had to have been a conversation. There would have been a lot of planning, I yeah. feel like, and a lot of like communicating with the other departments of this scene. Oh yeah. How are we going to do this? That was crazy. Impressive. Back to the note of balding. Mm. I said we get to it. I found a comment from Lizzie Yanni on creating Egerton's Elton, she wanted to be sensitive to the real Elton in the balding department, just because I think balding men, it can, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, just a, it's, it's hard. It can be a very personal matter. Exactly. So she wanted, you know, you have to, you have to establish it, but you want to be sensitive. Yeah. So she says, I think he is very sensitive about it, and it's a very sensitive subject to approach, but we had to show it. Taryn wore it so well that when he was on the airplane and there was a photo taken of him, Elton saw it and thought it was actually a photo of him and said, I don't remember taking this. So that was a massive compliment that it worked. And I think it kind of overrode the sensitivities. So because she chose to keep that balding in, it just lends itself to the realism. And then to actually have Elton John think that it was him, that it was him in the photo as a makeup artist, he'd be like, nailed it. Yeah. So in the scenes where we see Elton in rehab and working through some working through his issues and you know yeah. spoiler alert the, oh yes you should have watched it though <laughs> it's been years <laughs> he wore mo- he that those are the scenes that he wore the most makeup so for those ones he had prosthetic eye bags crow's feet nasolabial lines which are those lines that come down from your nostril and kind of go down by your chin yeah like small lines exactly he also wore jowls and a bald cap to take his hairline back even farther and then on top of the bald cap he wore a wig to show the baldness. Ah, mm-hmm. that, that was my confusion earlier. Yeah. Smart. So, the less hair he has, except for the scene, and now, which now when you learn that, it makes sense that they didn't want to do a bald cap for the pool scene. Yes, it does. And a wig. 
Yes. It just would be a hot mess. And also a great choice that when he's in his rehab, he can have the most makeup. And also, it's probably the best type of scene to be touching up all that makeup because he's just sat around in a circle. Exactly. He's not doing any crazy acrobatics. He's not in the elements. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So to finish off this portion of his life, they used... That sounds like a really morbid sentence, <laughs> what I just read. To finish off this portion of his life. God. <laughs> to finish off this portion of the film That's and better. this segment of his life, um, they used paints to break up the skin tones and help with the aging process. She said when designing the character, I developed the character as someone who went through being young to well-known but didn't really feel loved. Yeah. And I think that she did a really good job reflecting those in those in the scenes where he's kind of coming back from those addictions because you do see he does look like he's not looking after himself. No, and he looks like he's been struggling for a while. So yeah. she did a really good job at showing like this is not the same person that we saw you know three years ago on stage. Yeah, I think that. The film does a really great job in representing the emotional torment that, unfortunately, he was going through. And his parents weren't good parents at all. No. That, like, was heartbreaking in the film. It was, it's, yeah. There was a lot in the film where you, you it does, like, make you feel bad, for sure. And, yeah. like, I think, like, even his struggle with, like, I think he really struggled with maybe feeling like he belonged somewhere. Yeah. And feeling loved. Because a lot of his, like, yeah, like you said, his family life was quite rough. And then when he started to date and to be with other people romantically, a lot of those relationships turned out to be quite abusive. Yeah, very abusive and And, extremely toxic and using. Yeah, totally. And his family used him, too. Exactly. So I feel like you kind of develop this mindset of, like, nobody really loves me for me. They just love me for these other reasons. What I thought was really interesting in maybe Elton John's outfit choices, too, because to me, like, watching all these outfits and watching all that, and I know that was part of his look and his career, but it almost, like, watching this film, this, like, musical biopic was, like, so sad to me because he just felt like a performing monkey almost. Yeah. Because he, like, seeing him backstage in the scenes and then going out to be all, like, this loud, bright character in this colourful gear. Yeah. was just really, like, it was just, like, emotional. It wasn't, like, fun. The, the, the only time that I really loved watching in the film his performance was his initial first one in america where he is like the rocket man thing and he's like kicking yes. off the back of the piano yeah, and everyone's yeah, yeah. Going crazy. and it's like at a small bar it's and like one just, of his first things yeah and that's when i was like this is awesome and then that like same like kind of fades throughout his career yeah and i think it's really interesting that they chose to keep him when he does decide to go to rehab they chose to keep him in a very crazy outfit yeah walking in there because it's almost like that identity is also part of the reason he is hurt yes yeah, and just going through that, and then by the end of those scenes, he's in, like, a dressing gown. Exactly. He's slowly taking off each, within each, like, rehab, rehabilitation, like, talk talking session. Yeah. He's not wearing the headdress. And, and the glasses. And yeah. Totally. Slowly breaking him down. Yeah. And I think, like, he, it almost kind of reminds me of, like, almost like a drag persona. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, I find, like, a lot of the time... I'm an avid watcher of RuPaul's Drag Race. Yes. And a lot of the time, when the queens talk about their, like, experiences coming to drag and how they kind of found it, they talk about how it was kind of an escape for them. Yeah. And how they felt like they couldn't really be themselves or they didn't have confidence or, like, whatever it may be. They didn't feel accepted as who they are. So they create these alter egos and these personas that then they can kind of sh- shed their inhibitions a little bit as themselves and they can feel their confidence and there's always the one queen that's like I don't know how to not be my drag persona because my drag persona is like the only way I feel confident mm-hmm. or like you know and so I don't feel confident as a boy I feel I only feel confident in drag and then the other queens always say but at the end of the day makeup or not it's still you making the jokes and it's still you doing the performance like mm-hmm. you know at the end of the day you're still the person who performs like that so I just feel like I wish someone said that to Elton John yeah, you know, that's really sweet. I just wish I could go and give him a little pep talk and yeah, a little pat on the back, there's maybe a, a hug. There's a lot of, like, celebrities and well-known people that I just kind of do want to give a hug because I think yeah. so many people think that that's what they are and that's who they like and you know them because you watch them. Yeah, but exactly. But you don't. You don't know a thing about someone's personal life, no. even if they're in the limelight. Exactly. And I think people forget, too, that 
we feel like we know people because we see them on movies, but when they're on movies, they're acting. Yeah. It's not actually who they are. No. You know? I'm sure that Tom Cruise is not buddy for Mission Impossible when he's making his, like, chicken in the kitchen. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel like Tom Cruise is an uh, He might be. Yeah, you're right. Actually. Yeah, I think that was a bad example. <laughs> I think he might actually believe he is. <laughs> that guy. He does his own stunts. <laughs> My legs are asleep. <laughs> Tom Cruise's legs would never be asleep. That man probably does a thousand squats a day. Oh, you're just having a lie down. Sorry. Please. We're just going to take a short break. <laughs> Cue music. and we're back <laughs> um yeah so that pretty much concludes the rocket man all in all really interesting makeup really talented makeup artist great film yeah and those are my that's what i learned <laughs> take the mic away please physically take it away from me <laughs> rip it out of my cold dead hands oh my god <laughs> okay um so yeah as i mentioned earlier i will be covering bohemian rhapsody the sweet sweet film that it is uh also focusing on another very interesting um, male lead. Mm-hmm. Um, Around the same time. Yeah. Pretty close times. Yeah. It's actually, we're like, this is what we wanted. We wanted to pick a genre so our films would kind of like be... Mesh well. Here yeah. we are. They're meshing. They're meshing. Quite well. Yeah. So let me tell you about Bohemian Rhapsody. Please. It's a 2018 biographical drama film. Also a musical, guys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> about Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of the British rock band Queen. It was directed by Brian Singer from a screenplay by Anthony McCartan. All right, so I know I just said Brian Singer, so let me just tell you about I that. Know, I was like, are you lying to me? No, I'm not. Listen to this. Bohemian Rhapsody was announced in 2010 with Sacha Baron Cohen set to play Mercury. I know, your oh, true love. Wow, that yep. would have been something else. Right? Not that I don't like, I love Remy Malik in the role, so. Yeah. It's okay. After uh, Sacha Baron Cohen left the project in 2013, following creative differences with producers, the project languished for several years before Rami Malek was cast in November 2016. Singer served as director through most of the principal photography, which began in London in September 2017, but was fired in December 2017 (gasps) due to frequent absences and and clashings with cast and crew. Dexter Fletcher who was originally set to direct the film early in development, was hired to complete the film. Oh. Singer retained solo director credit as per Directors Guild of America guidelines while Fletcher received an executive producer credit. Harsh. Filming concluded in January 2018. Um, Not to just fucking out Directors Guild of America guidelines, but... Bad rule. That's a shit rule. How are you allowed to do that? I don't know. So, yeah... Dexter Fletcher only got an exec producing credit. That's crazy. Yep. How is that a rule? That's so stupid. I agree. At least put both of the names on there. Yeah, honestly. Why can't, you, why can't you just say they were both directed it? Yeah. they both did. Mm-hmm. So the film follows Freddie Mercury's life from the formation of the band up to the 1985 Live Aid performance at the original Wembley Stadium. Mercury was known for his flamboyant stage persona and full octave vocal range that he actually does have. Not that I fake that I have. Or say he that. actually has. He it. actually has a four octave range. Wow, impressive. that is hella impressive. Very impressive. Queen members Brian May and Roger Taylor served as consultants throughout the film, very much as Elton ah, John did. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Okay, cool. So listen to this banger. Budget was. <laughs> Sorry. That just hit me. I was I I wasn't expecting that. Who do I think I am? I don't know, but I kind of like it. I'll be honest. Oh, <laughs> I'll be honest. I don't really understand. It's obviously the Doctor Dwight in me. Jesus. So budget was fifty to fifty-five million, but the box office was nine hundred and five point two million. Oh, just a little profit. So a nice little cash back. Scrape by. <laughs> Jesus Bloody Christ! Hell. Barely made it. Bohemian Rhapsody became the highest-grossing musical biopic of all time worldwide, as well as the highest-grossing LGBTQ film. Sorry, Rocket okay. Man. You know what? That's okay, because in oh. 2020, my film won the best achievement at the Oscars for a written musical motion picture of original song. Interesting. I'm yeah. Gonna Love Me Again. I forgot to mention that. It was at the beginning of my notes. Oh. Well, uh, let me tell you something else. My film... <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do this podcast with you anymore. Hey, season two, episode two. Shall I move on? <laughs> Sorry. So, makeup and hair. Jan Sewell is who we have to thank. Jan is a BAFTA winning makeup artist with a wide ranging career spanning film and 
television. Some of her credits include The Danish Girl, Theory of Everything, Bridget Jones's Baby, World War Z, the film adaptation of Les Miserables, and the makeup artist of Jennifer Lawrence in X-Men First Class. She helps with that. Yeah. Uh, Jen has previously won a Goya Award for Agora, a a World Royal Television Society Award, and a BAFTA for her work on French and Saunders, and a British Television Advertising Craft Award for Best Makeup, Hair, and Prosthetics for the commercial Would I? Sewell's celebrity clients have included Jeff Bridges, Kevin Bacon, Emma Thompson, Tandy Newton, Vanessa Redgrave, and many more. Oh, just a short resume. Yeah, just a little one. Not too much to add. And she also got her nominations in 2019 for Best Hair and Makeup in the BAFTAs and Best Hair and Makeup Critics' Choice Award for Bohemian Rhapsody. Wow. Wawa wee wah. Look at her go. After watching and reading many interviews with Jan, I'm going to start with the hiring process of Bohemian Rhapsody. So Jan was working on Tomb Raider at the time, and <laughs> the producer, Graham King, offered her the job for Bohemian Rhapsody. She, it's, she said it's the only job that she didn't have to interview for. She just was offered it straight away. Wow. Jan, yeah, I know. Pretty I can't cool, wait right? till. I hope that that happens one day in my career. Mm-hmm. As a department head. Yeah. Because normally you're, like, chosen to maybe interview, and then yeah. they have a selection of people after they've read the script, done it both down, and then they kind of see their vision, and if it responds well to what the producers have, then you're hired. Exactly. I'm guessing, from a very naive perception That's, that of... That sounds right to me. ...department heading and the hiring process. But no... Jan was offered it straight away. Jan's a babe. So Jan was so excited and overjoyed with this job offer, and it was only until she started doing very in-depth research about Queen and Mercury that the pressure sunk in, mainly because of the fan base Queen had. That would be a lot of pressure. Yeah. And she has to do justice. So about her research, she obviously had a wealth of information on Queen, Mm -hmm. just like similar to Elton John. There's a bank of knowledge making her job easier this included watching many documentaries music videos reading books not just looking at the makeup but also who these band members were as human beings going further than face value so after collecting research and doing an in-depth makeup and hair breakdown she confirmed her goals with the producers and then got in contact with the production designer who apparently is normally hired first in a job film scenario Mm -hmm. jan mentioned she always makes contact with the production designer to see their choice of color palettes for the film knowing it would be set in the 70s and 80s but homing in on those select colors that would appear in the scenes furthering this she contacted the costume designer julian day to match and collaborate on different scenes and performances wow so her palette her color palette is really reflective of the production designer yeah something i haven't heard before but what makes sense yeah well I, it's interesting because that was a lot of the same thing that what happened on the Joker. Yes. With them, same thing, makeup, hair, Mickey and L- production design. Mickey Letterman? Yeah, Mickey Letterman. Yeah. A lot of collaboration between those three as well. Like, what colors are you using? What colors am I using? It's not a solo performance no, here. it's really a team sport. Yeah. Um, so after her research was collected, she started the designing process. When this began, Rami was the only cast member to be cast at the time, giving her full focus just on this transformation in the first few weeks. That's helpful, I bet. Yeah. Because of Malik's uh, Egyptian descent, the skin colour comparison to Mercury worked well, as well as Malik's natural jawline. But overall, Freddie Mercury and Rami didn't look identical. She said initially she knew there was going to be a lot of wigs, not only because the film was spanning at 15 year time period but also because malik was coming off of mr robot have you seen mr robot yeah doesn't he have a buzz cut in that one it's pretty short yeah yeah it's pretty short it's honestly not my all-time favorite show but it has the most impactful pilot for me the first episode i remember mr. being robot? like yeah oh, okay i do like the show i think rami malik is insane but the opening scene of mr robot like blew my mind Pause this podcast and go watch the opening scene. It's like five minutes long. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. And it's literally just two people in a coffee shop having a conversation. Do you know what I'm referring to? I don't, but I'm going to find out tonight. Yeah, you should. Hella good performance. My dad's been telling me to watch that show for like a year and a half, so. I took a, I'm, I'm currently on a long hiatus from the show because they were just really mean to a character and it just made, like, it actually made me cry. Oh. <laughs> just of like something mean that someone said in it. I felt really bad for this fake character. <laughs> I do that all the time, though, so don't even worry. I like, have a lot of empathy. Same. Regularly, like, someone will say something mean. Even, like, dude, when I watch Drag Race, if, like, one of the queens says something mean to the other queen... And you can tell it hits different. Yeah, and you can tell, like, it's not really a joke. It's, like, almost too mean. Yeah. I'm like, uh, like, part of me 
I just wish I could, like, walk in and give that person a hug and be like, I think that you look great and you're doing such a good job. Yeah. Alexis. <laughs> Alexis, darling. Um, sweet Buffy. <laughs> so, uh, just to go back to wigs there, Jan always sources her wigs from the Alex Rouse wig company based in London. In addition, she knew she would need teeth and prosthetics, so she rang Chris... <laughs> so she rang, I'll tell you, <laughs> on her phone... Uh, she's a modern lady <laughs> who is this jam so well wow um she rang chris lines at fangs dot effects in buckinghamshire to get started on mercury's iconic teeth yes that's a big part of the character i feel like without the teeth it's totally not freddie mercury yeah freddie mercury he was known for, for those. those yeah those Nashers. What do you, yeah, I was like, what's a good word to call those? Well, like, again, going back to having empathy, Freddie Mercury, like, he used to get called Bucky as a kid. What a sin. Like, why are people so mean? I don't know. Kids are horrible. Oh, um, so then after getting the teeth from Fangs.fx, she then uh, went to go get her good friend, Marc Coulier, who we are familiar with. We've dabbled. Yeah, in Ep 3, the Grand Budapest Hotel, and asked Mark to make some prosthetics for her. I love that. Wow. Also, pause this again after you've seen the Mr. Robot clip, and then go to Mark Coolio's Instagram, because he's posting all of his work that he did on Pinocchio, and it is insane. It is so, so good. I guess as a film, the film adaptation Pinocchio is coming out. Oh, okay. Live I didn't action. even know that. I didn't either, and he's posting all of his sculpts and his work from wow. it, and it looks incredible. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's pretty beautiful. I'm really excited for it. But this is Bohemian Rhapsody. So Sewell and Coolia then, when, deci- when deciding on the prosthetics Rami would need to transform into Mercury, Jan said she led with, what's the smallest thing I can do to have the biggest impact? Mm. She also stated, you don't necessarily want them to look exactly alike, but you want to catch the essence of the person. Exactly. Yes. What my girl said. Yes. Yanni Giorgio, same thing. Very much to echo what you were saying. Wow. With this in mind, they decided against cheekbone pieces, what was initially what they wanted to do, and just went with half a prosthetic nose, a small change but impactful. The nose piece was silicon, of course, and built up the bridge of Rami's natural nose, giving a stronger, straighter nose that Freddie Mercury had. With this nose piece, she then used powders to shade and contour Remy's eyes. Sometimes I call him Remy, and that's not rad, because that's Remy from Ratatouille. (laughs) Remy. Too much time on TikTok. (laughs) Ratatouille, the rat of all our dreams. Another stage production I'm very excited for. (laughs) Our next musical episode. That's what we'll be talking about. So, Remy's eyes are a lot bigger than Freddie Mercury's, naturally. But with this nose build-up, it made his eyes appear smaller because you were concentrating on this bigger bridge that he had now. Right. And then Jan uh, decided to shade and, and highlight around the eyes to basically contour them to make them look closer together. And with the use of the nose prosthetic, it made Rami's eyes appear smaller as well. Isn't that so cool that you can change a small part of someone's face and changing that one part will change the way that another part looks yeah it's like have you ever seen people where they like photoshop people's eyebrows out and it's actually someone who has no eyebrows is less recognizable than the same person with no eyes what yeah like okay take britney take britney spears for example if you were to photoshop out britney's eyes yeah you'd have an easier time telling that it was britney than if you photoshopped out her eyebrows really yeah like it's something to do like the brain it's likes like, the brain likes the brows the brain likes the brows it's how it's like a key part of how we identify people and i guess it holds so much like emotion expressiveness too. and yeah, yeah exactly hmm. it's very interesting isn't a little it? bit of science there for you there you go um so yeah she managed to do that with highlight and shadow what's really i always that's really cool i always love when people just use powders She's a powder lady. Um, and they also did this technique to accentuate Rami's cheekbones and jawline. Because Freddie Mercury had very strong cheekbones and jawline. He did. Wow. Yeah. So creating the look of Freddie Mercury actually took three makeup tests before they were happy. They flew Rami out to get his face and mouth cast. And within two weeks, they were ready for a camera makeup test. Wow, that's pretty fast. Really fast. The nose wasn't quite right the first time, and then the fake teeth changed by millimeters a few more times. Wow. Yeah, the teeth they ended up using in the end were considerably smaller than Mercury's actual teeth, 
but of course had to balance this with Malik's mouth and not looking too over-exaggerated because he had a different jaw and a different mouth, of course. So they mm-hmm. couldn't, like, you know, copy and paste, like, Mercury's teeth to Malik's. Mm-hmm. They had to still make them look the iconic Mercury two front Sh- teeth. Shapes. But, like, how were they going to sit on Rami? Yeah, and he's got to be able to, like we talked about, he's got to be able to talk and act, and so, like... Yeah, so in the meantime, Malik actually had a, like, spare set of teeth to practice in. The weren't the, like, ones he ended up using, but it was just to get that movement in his mouth and it not feeling so alien. Yeah. Because he needed to perform. It wasn't a choice with him. Yeah. Really. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, with my film, it was an option to paint it, and maybe it would be a little more tedious and harder, like, it would suck for maintenance, but... I feel like, yeah, you can't cheat that. No. With his character. Yeah. It's such a... It's his look. It's just a key part of who... What he looks like, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Sweet Mercury. That's super impressive for Malik, though, too, that he was able to... Perform. Perform with that huge and he, dental like, piece. He has an overbite, too. So to, yeah. like, hold your face and, like, get comfortable with that. Yeah. Having fake teeth in is hard. It Making is. teeth is impressive, too. Mm-hmm. Like, Fang's, uh, Fang's effects who made the teeth are also responsible for many iconic like mm-hmm. amazing sets of teeth that we might know um in snowpiercer not the tv show the film he did tilda swinton's for example and wow. many of guardians of the galaxy's set of teeth as well so that's all that shop specializes in what's i awesome. really liked making teeth yeah making teeth is really hard but really cool it's a really cool process yeah that we won't talk about keep going <laughs> that we that we don't want to discuss <laughs> no not at all we can totally like put some work of fangs effects up up and you know it's probably an easier thing to visualize than to be explained i think so too yeah that's why i'm like pausing probably also because i'm like um i haven't made teeth since 2016 <laughs> after finalizing on rami's transformation into mercury she also of course was designing and making the transformation looks for the rest of the actors playing the queen band members mm. yeah guillem Lee, or maybe pronounced Willem Lee as Brian May, Ben Hardy as Roger Taylor, and Joseph Malazio as John Deacon. So as we mentioned, Rami's face was cast, and so were the rest of the actors. And when I say cast, I mean taking like an imprint of the actor's face, like face casting. So you can then sculpt and make pieces specifically for those people. We've mentioned it before in a lot of our prosthetic talk episodes. Mm-hmm. So the rest, so all four other actors uh, had... Oh, all four of them had face casts and this was because they're obviously spanning 15 years and so she had these faces cast because she wanted to have aging prosthetics to add to them when the timeline and scenes called for it as the film was only spanning 15 years these aging details had to be subtle so she decided to have a variation of eye bags nasal labial folds and forehead creases made with bondo oh fun yeah what we've also talked about uh, now i have a question do you think she, so she had the prosthetics made to show the aging process. Do you think that she had any prosthetics made to transform them to be more like the people that they were acting as? Or do you think that the casting, they were like, let's just get them as close as we can? It was also, it was a combination of both. It was aging the actor, but also manipulating these aging lines to f- kind of follow suit as what the actors look like now. Or the... Oh, sorry, the uh, band members of Queen right. look like now. Okay, okay, so it's so. very much like a bit of both, like adjusting what the actor had, but also tuning into The actual person. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, but did this with Bondo. Um, was obviously a lot um, cheaper. Yes. And um, giving age with a simple, effective application. Yeah. Um, as well as having all of their wigs correct too, especially mm-hmm. Brian May's. Definitely the wigs. I was just going to say. The wig work's incredible. Yeah. The wigs were super important. And Brian May, that's an iconic hair. He's yeah. the one with the big The big floof. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of looks like a barrister. <laughs> Do you know what I mean by that? You know, like the court barristers where they have the white, like, rolls, but, like, rock star version. Oh, but, like, make it punk. <laughs> but, like, make it rock. <laughs> but make it 70s. <laughs> um... They, of course, had a variation of moustaches, too, for the changing looks, especially with Mercury. A classic moustache um, they used was, of course, shown in the film's reenactment of Queen's Live Aid performance with Rami. Mm-hmm. Yep. Big uh, one. He's wearing it to mimic Mercury, that he had, the moustache he actually had in 1985. Wow. So I just want to talk about the Live Aid performance as we're nearing the end. The performance from Queen has been voted one of the best performances of all time to this day, even though it's 35 years ago. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. God, f- I wish I was there. 
Right? Can you imagine? <laughs> I wish I had that to, like, flex on people, like, yeah. at a party and be like, oh, like, what's a cool fact about you? I'd be like, oh, I was at Queen's Live Aid performance. Yeah. Yeah. I was and in the crowd. Especially <laughs> as Freddie Mercury died, like, six years later. Exactly. Like, and that performance, like, I mean, I've only ever seen videos of it, obviously. Um, amazing. It's, like, it's iconic. It's insane. The yeah. amount of energy that he gave that performance. And to think that that's also when he was sick. Yeah. Like, for him to be able to perform that way while obviously not being, not feeling. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the film ends with this performance, and it is filmed identically to the actual Live Aid performance Queen did. Shot by shot, and I believe it was a 20-minute scene when they were filming it. What was the length that Queen performed as well wow. at the Live Aid concert? That's very cool. Yeah. On Jimmy Fallon, an interview I was watching, Rami explains that this was the first thing they shot in the film it was day one wow so when making bohemian rhapsody day one was the live a performance what is huge yeah. he also thinks they planned it this way to see if the film was worth shooting because this is such an impactful part it's the end of the film yeah and that he thinks that the producers were like is this going to be worth 50 million no well, let's just test it out let's do the live a let's performance see. first let's throw him in the fire see if he see yeah. what happens yeah <laughs> let's baptism with fire <laughs> literally um yeah, and so he said it was like winning an Oscar when he got the cool sheet for day two. Oh, yeah. oh. Um, I'm also a big fan of Rami Malek after watching some interviews of him talking about it. He's just like such an intriguing human being to me and just so sweet and cool. And he just talked about Jan Sewell as well so beautifully and just said that he couldn't believe that he got to have her as a makeup artist because he'd seen her work on The Theory of Everything, transforming Eddie Redmayne into Stephen Hawking's. Mm-hmm. And when he found out that Jen Sewell would be doing his makeup, he felt so, like, taken care of and blessed that he got oh, to work with awesome. someone like that. And apparently j- during the transformation and trying to help her with um, turning him into Freddie Mercury, Jen Sewell said that he was just so, like, anything you want to do, just do it. Like, let's try it. Oh, that's awesome. That's It's, like, always nice when you there's, like, a good relationship. Yeah. The first time I, like, interacted with this film, I was on an airplane, and it was, like, on one of the things. And I actually didn't watch it that time, but Daniel watched it, and we were sitting right beside each other, and my movie ended, or I don't even watch movies on airplanes, what am I saying? I was reading my book. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> anyway, I called myself out. But, um, <laughs> with this hold up in court. <laughs> but I, like, look over, and it's on that part of the scene where Daniel's watching the movie, and I didn't even, I couldn't hear the sound, I was just watching the visual, and I cried. Really? It, it just made me so... I was just like... <laughs> it's so emotional. and then to, and he's so talented. So it's funny you say that, because to conclude my research, I want to end on dear Jan Sewell, who did so much to make this film what it is, and the accuracy of her work was proven when Brian May's wife, Anita, came to set, and whilst watching Rami perform, she burst out crying as it was so emotional due to the accuracy of the wow. Live Aid performance. So you and Anita, you're we're, on the same page. We're riding the same wave. That's mm-hmm. amazing. That's, oh, what? And it's got to feel so good to be, like, a part of a film like that that is, it is so moving and it is iconic and Queen is iconic. Freddie Mercury is iconic. Um, both so, of them, Elton John and Freddie yeah, Mercury. It's like, like, I'm so happy this film's made about both of those human beings. Me too. They did so much. Yeah. Elton John still does so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're just two really amazing people, I think. And, and equally, I just want to hug them both. Yeah. Like, I felt like when I was watching um, Rocket Man, I felt the same as I did when watching Bohemian Rhapsody of just the emotion for the person. Like, Freddie Mercury appeared so lonely to me. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I just I just think it's so true that even though you can be surrounded with so many people, you can equally feel so lonely and empty inside. And I think that it really definitely portrayed that in both films. I agree. And that, I wish that I could give them both a big hug. Me too. And you see, like, these two people that... On the outside, you would think they have everything. They live in nice houses. They have all this clothes. They yeah, have all this like money. International and, rock stars. Yeah, they're, they're living, like, arguably, like, what everyone wants to do. They get to go and play rock concerts. And it was also in, like, the 70s and 80s. The music industry, I can imagine, was such a different time mm-hmm. period and, fe- like, thing then. Yeah, definitely. And then to see how it was for them on the inside of how lonely and how... Empty. Yeah, I think it really shows that, like... I don't know. Just you gotta treat everybody nice because you honestly never know what the person beside you's going through. Yeah, and if that's like, if there's one thing we can leave you with, 
And it's also <laughs> just going back to that quote um, that Jim Carrey said that I wish everyone could become rich and famous to realise that it isn't anything. Yeah. What's, I think, so true. Yeah. Yeah. So bravo to two amazing makeup artists. Yeah. But... And two amazing films. Yeah. What a great episode. I enjoyed this. This is, this is a good... We're on a roll, if I do say so myself. I agree. Do we have a little tip and a product that we want to conclude with? For the product, I haven't been wearing a lot of makeup. I haven't been seeing a lot of people. Even in before COVID, I did wear a lot of makeup. But when I do wear makeup, I like a warm shadow. I like a subtle shadow. Yeah, you do. I like a good shimmer sometimes. Um, and so recently I picked up a little eyeshadow palette by Fenty. It's really tiny. It only has six shades. But she, first of all, Fenty, great beauty. I really love their makeup. Are you, do you use Fenty Beauty ever? I have their primer that I use on a lot of people that works really well. They've just, she's got some great stuff. She's got a great foundation shade range. Um, but yeah, I found this eyeshadow there. So I just thought I would talk about it. If you guys are in the market for a new eyeshadow, it's the Snap Shadows and it's the Mix and Match eyeshadow palettes. They've got, the one that I've been using is True Neutrals. And it's just some really great everyday shades with also some shimmers and some darker ones. So you can do tons of looks with just this little mini shadow palette. But also kind of cool because in the same line, she's got like some crazy greens and blues and pinks. So if you're into more of the, the bright looks. Then... I, I admire people that can pull off like a green oh, lip God, or a purple same. lip. I know. Or you see people with like yellow eyebrows. Like people are like coloring their eyebrows now with eyeshadow. Oh. I'm like, God, that's beautiful. Yeah, strong work. What an artiste. Uh, so for our tip of the week now, we're on the subject of manipulating the brow to look a certain way and achieve a certain look. Yeah, if you want to make your eyes look like they're closer together, if you extend the point at which your brows start, so you kind of bring them in a bit tighter, not drawing on a unibrow, keeping, no, no, no. keeping the space, but just shortening the space, it can make the eyes look like they're closer together. Um... And then, Ruby, why don't you tell people how they can get further away looking eyes? Oh, I will. Extending the tail of your brow um, with an eyebrow pencil is also another trick that will pull your eyes outward. So using different shades of eyeshadow... <laughs> I just started reading the rest. Wait, this is a plagiarism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. You know what? We say we're makeup artists, but are we really? Who knows? You'll never know. I yeah. I'll you... never know. That's for sure. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I'm actually shocked every day when I get a call sheet and it has my name under the makeup department. I'm like, wow, they still think I'm in makeup. Okay. <laughs> I remember being in school and then being like, yeah, and then you know now you guys are graduating, you can go on and get paid. And I was like, paid <laughs> me? What? <laughs> you mean this is for money? <laughs> I thought you guys were just giving me makeup tips. Um, on the subject of also another great brow tip, uh, occasionally, if I'm going out for a long night out. Oh, a long night out. <laughs> like if it's exceeding seven hours. Whoa! <laughs> I was thinking more like an hour. Oh, okay. No, actually seven hours. Okay. Yeah. I, don't, I don't do this very often. <laughs> but sometimes... Pre-COVID. I'll, yes, obviously. Pre-COVID brow. Um, sometimes I'll use alcohol paint. Nice. Just because it's... Also great for film. Yeah, you can't sweat it off. Longer lasting. Anyway. Yeah. And I actually think that it's really great for drawing on, like, those hair strokes because you can get it, like, quite fine if you have a good brush. I agree. That's an excellent tip. So if you didn't understand our first tip, there's your second tip. Voila. <laughs> Just as a backup. Take it all over. <laughs> Do what you please. Um, and with that... Yeah, I think we're done. We're finished. Finally, you're welcome. I know. I know. It was a ride. You're all telling us to head out of here. Uh, if you want to follow us on Instagram, you can find our Instagram page at Blush and Stuff Pod and our Twitter at Blush and Stuff underscore Pod. And if you want to contact us via email or pigeon, I'm not giving you the address, just by email. <laughs> and if you want to email us, so you can contact us at blushandstuffpod at gmail.com. Don't go away yet. I know you want to take your finger away from the stop button. Yeah, because we got to tell you what our next week's genre is. Ruby, take it away. Put the plug in the machine. <laughs> the Start the combobulator. <laughs> <laughs> so the generator wants us to do for next episode. The genre is thriller. Thriller is a good one. 
That was psycho. You know, the... It sounded like a the gerbil. Hitchcock? Like a hamster or something. Oh, all right. Well, yeah, we're doing thrillers, so I hope you like... <laughs> what that was. Uh, if you want more of this madness, please tune in for episode three. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you... On the other so, side. Later on. Yeah. Oh, and please subscribe, because it actually really helps us, we found out. Yeah, and if you want to leave a nice comment, nice comment... We'd love that. Okay. Not to draw this out any longer. Lots of love. Take care. Stay kind. Bye.